This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of April the 3rd, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. In the 38 years that Steve Sander has owned and operated Jiffy Lube oil chain shops in Indiana, he has laid down some serious treadmarks. He is owner and president of Jiffy Lube of Indiana, which counts 51 locations and about 510 employees altogether. That's the vast majority of the Jiffy Lubes in the state. But he hasn't been content to simply make his mark as a major Jiffy Lube franchisee. He has volunteered at the highest levels of some of Central Indiana's highest profile organizations, including the Indiana Sports Corp, the local organizing committee for the Big Ten Football Championship, and the Washington Township Schools Foundation. And he has used his Jiffy Lubes as a platform for some surprising community-minding initiatives. He has supported Indiana artists by commissioning 30 murals and counting for his stores. He's kicking off a campaign called No Ticket, Let's Fix It, in which police officers around the state give motorists $25 Jiffy Lube gift cards to get minor car repairs at a total retail value so far of $300,000. It's a great way to get motorists into Jiffy Lubes, but Sander also wants to promote positive interactions between police and motorists while keeping the roads safer. Sander is our guest for this week's edition of the podcast, and we cover a lot of ground. We start with a few wild stories about his early days as an entrepreneur and how he got a foothold as a Jiffy Lube franchisee. He reacts to some of the common complaints that consumers have about oil chain shops. And he talks at length about his secondary career as a volunteer, including being in charge of all the laundry in the March Madness bubble when Indianapolis hosted all of the NCAA men's basketball tournament in 2021. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Steve Sander, president and owner of Jiffy Lube of Indiana. And thanks for making time for coming to the studio today. That's great to be here. Now, let me know if I did my homework correctly. So you grew up in Philadelphia. I'm a Philly boy. Okay. You went to Penn State University. Went to Penn State. Yep. You graduated in 83 with a bachelor's in Business, management, marketing, and related support services. That sounds about right. I, it's a long time ago, but yeah. I think that was right. <laughs> Can you remember that far back? <laughs> Two years later, it is 1985, and you're living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. What were you doing in Fort Lauderdale? Well, so I had I had one job interview that my dad forced me to go to when I got when I was a senior at Penn State in '83. It was to sell sandpaper for the 3M Corporation. And so he he takes me to this job. This it was a job site. There was a trailer with fluorescent lighting in it. And I go in to meet with this guy, and he 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 figured out pretty quick that I was not interested in selling sandpaper. When he asked me why do you want to do this, and I said I'd practice this line because I thought I wanted to. I thought it would be funny, and maybe he we it would break the ice. I said, well, I've always been told I can be quite abrasive. So I thought this would be a perfect job for me. <laughs> and he just looked at me and he said, you don't really want this job, do you? I said, no, my dad's out in the parking lot. I don't really want to sell sandpaper. And so we we talked Penn State football for 15 minutes and I went on my way. And that's the only, to this day, that's my only job interview. So uh, I had a good friend, former roommate who, who had started 
uh, a, a business in Fort Lauderdale and North Miami delivering New York Times newspapers when satellite printing had just started in the, in the 80s. And he and I loved, we had spent the summer of 81 together out in Berkeley, California, just working and hanging out. And we fell in love with gelato, Italian ice cream that was on every corner in San Francisco. And we decided we were going to start a gelato company. So we found a uh, largest wholesaler in California, cut a deal with him to give us the state of Florida and the Caribbean, which we never made it to the Caribbean. Uh, and his cousin's boyfriend gave us 150 grand. And we went out and started something we called Exclusive Gourmet Foods, selling gelato. And then we picked up, everything was frozen. David Glass chocolate mousse cake, Lindy's cheesecake from New York, uh, a line of pasta from Italy, uh, all frozen foods, but high-end gourmet stuff. And we got a warehouse space and we started selling and delivering and just had a ball for two years. We paid ourselves $150 a week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we ran through $150,000 pretty darn fast. Yeah. So uh, he left after a year. My partner got a $50,000 a year job offer to sell tofu tofu ice cream uh, from, a, from a competitor of ours. And then I hung on with his cousin's boyfriend's sister and I ran the business for a second year. And we ended up merging with another company and I had had a, a couple of friends uh, of the family in Philly who owned McDonald's restaurants. And one of them had been coming down. To, he had a place in Florida. And whenever he'd come down, he was getting a huge kick out of what we were trying to do. It was it was seat of our pants, entrepreneur. Uh, we didn't understand margin. We understood sales. We didn't understand margin. So we'd make the deal. But, but then we'd lose money. Uh, we got a lot of lessons. I, I feel bad that we ran through the uh, – the cousin's boyfriend's money, but he had he had enough. He was okay, and he loved the story. He got more stories to tell than anybody. Uh, so it was it was a great learning experience. But when when uh, uh, Jack Nigaman, a friend from home, friend of the family who owned some McDonald's, came down and helped me go through the the merger and, and an ultimate buyout, he said, "Hey, I'm working on something. Would you ever want to?" leave Florida. And I thought, well, I have to be something interesting. What, what do you got? And he, it's the first time I ever heard the words Jiffy Lube. Huh. And I said, Jack, I, I changed my own oil one time on my 79 Velari and the filter fell off. Those are my qualifications. <laughs> and he, he pulled up his sleeve and showed me a burn on his arm from the first time he tried to make French fries at a McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> So it was it was great. So we, you know, we he said, "Hey, we're selling the sizzle, man. We, like, we'll, we'll get people to change the oil. I need someone to run the business." And so I I thought about it for a little bit and called him and said, "Let's do it." And so most of the all of Florida was sold by that point. Uh, Jiffy Lube International was was based in Baltimore. It had sold most of the whole the East Coast. Chicago was sold. Uh, and so we went to meet with them and they had a map of the United States and, you know, blue areas were sold and red areas were under contract and yellow meant something. And right in the middle, there were no colors. We said, what's that? And they said, that's called Indiana. And we said, okay, let's, we'll do Indiana. And they, Hey, there's nothing in Kentucky and Michigan. Can we take those? And they ended up selling us Kentucky and Michigan selling, meaning we didn't have to pay for anything, but we had to commit to open a certain number of stores in a certain amount of time. And they gave us the territory. Wow. And so we moved. I, I was the one that got, I was the young guy that got to move out here. And 
Uh, I actually read about Indiana in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, <laughs> if that takes you back a little bit. Wow. Uh, there were no Google searches in 1985. Probably so, was a short entry, too. Uh, so, yeah, I, I learned a little bit. I, I came in. I had a, I had a, I loaded up my car. The nearest person I knew lived in Pittsburgh, 1985. I roll into – I hit 465, and for some reason I went north. Castleton looked busy. I got off. I went to the Ale Emporium. I, Mark Loris, the owner still today, was behind the bar. I introduced myself to Mark, said, I'm new in town. I, where should I live? He pointed across the street and went, Riverbend Apartments, pretty good. So I had a hotel booked for the week, and the, but I went over the next day and I got an apartment at Riverbend. And yeah, I met my wife there the next year and uh, 33 years of marriage and four kids later. And uh, it's it's been an amazing ride. So, what did you find gratifying about about doing what you were doing through Jiffy Lube? I mean, what, what, first, what was that work like? I mean, what were you doing, and what did you like about it? In the in the very beginning, we so I I really didn't know. I went to two weeks of training school with the franchise in Baltimore, and then I really I wanted to learn how to change oil. So I went out and just applied for a job in Springfield, Pennsylvania, near where I grew up. And they luckily they hired me. I didn't tell them who I was, and I worked there for three months. And, and that's really that might be the last time I changed oil. <laughs> uh, so it really it was a good experience. Uh, you know, I, I I really knew nothing. That's uh, fascinating. So they didn't require you to do that. You did that of your own. Did that on my own. Yeah. yeah. Their their requirement was the two week training program, which included like I think the second week we were in the stores. Uh, working, but but it was a on your job on the job type training in their model, but I wanted to get we we were still building we we're still looking for real estate out here, so there was no real work to do had I moved right away. So being able to have three months in a store gave me a little bit of a background. But when we came out here, we this this is this will make you laugh. We we identified sites. We knew Indianapolis was going to be our biggest market, so I moved here. We're identifying sites. We had one on the south side, one on the east side, and then 86th in Michigan uh, were the first three. But while we were, before we even started constructing those stores, uh, we got a call one day from a guy in Fort Wayne who owned nine stores called nine, they were nine minute oil change, 10 minute oil change. They pumped Valvoline and he was about to sell to Valvoline corporate. And something had gone south in the deal. And he called to say, hey, I heard you guys are Jiffy Lube and you're in town. If you can get me a million dollars by Friday, I'll sell you my nine stores instead of selling them to Valvoline. I'm, I'm mad at them about whatever. So I, I checked. I had like $12.42, I think, in my pocket. <laughs> so I was a little short. But uh, I called Jiffy Lube International, got my partners on the phone. We called Jiffy Lube International. They didn't have that kind of money. So they said, call Pennzoil. So I, I, they gave me the number of the president of Pennzoil. He took the call. I said, uh, Mr. Welcher, Steve Sander, we, we, we're new franchisees in Indiana, and I have a chance to steal nine stores from Valvoline, but I need a million. This is Tuesday. I need a million dollars Friday. And he said, will you pay me back? And I went, yeah, we'll pay you back. How long will it take? Give me 90 days. I'll find bank financing, and we'll pay you back. He said, all right. He sent his pilot in, in, a, in a private plane to the Fort Wayne airport. And my partner was up in Fort Wayne, met the guy. The guy got off the plane, walked over to the terminal, handed Jay an envelope, and got back on the plane and flew back to Houston. <laughs> and we bought nine 
10 minute oil change stores. That's amazing. So it was, it was a crazy, all of a sudden we had nine stores. I'm thinking I'm going to build the first one, really learn how to run it. My assistant manager will take it. I'll go build the second one, learn how to run it. That was the path we thought we would take. And suddenly I have nine stores. By 89, we had 31 locations. So we, we grew very fast. The, through acquisition and building uh, your own stores? May, mostly, other than this acquisition, it was all new builds. Can I take you up to, to 2000 real quick or sure, 1999? Sure. So according to the IBJ records, 1999, you had 22 Jiffy Lube stores in Indianapolis and six more around the state. Uh, were, were there others in Kentucky and Michigan at that so point? So we, we had sold our Kentucky store. We sold our Michigan stores in 1989. We just built so fast and we, were, we ran out of money. And so we, we needed to generate cash. So we sold Michigan in, 90, in 89. We sold Kentucky in 91. And then through the 90s, we were really solid, nice 22, 24, 26 store company. Until May of 99, when we bought 34 Q-Lubes uh, all at once. So the Q-Lubes had been originally had been McQuicks. So McQuicks was a great local competitor. Uh, still friends with some of those guys. They still give me a hard time. Uh, they, were, they were really good at what they did. And, uh, but they, they decided to sell out to Quaker State, which was Q-Lube. And then we were tied in with Pennzoil. And Pennzoil and Quaker State merged. And they decided to make all the Q-Lubes into Jiffy Lubes. So we had the opportunity to buy 34 company-owned Q-Lubes. And it, that changed the world for us. I mean, we went from fighting every day with comp competitive stores that had been there longer, that had better locations, corners everywhere, to suddenly those were our stores. And then we really, through the, through the 2000s, business was great and really that that recession at the end of the two, 2007, 8, 9, that, that hurt for a couple of years. But ever since that ended, we have had record sales and profits every year. Business is off the charts great and, and life is good. And it's allowed me to focus on some of the other things that we have going. Yeah. And to take a quick census, uh, how many stores are there now? We have 51. 51. So we have 51. There are I think 17 other Jiffy Lubes in Indiana that are not ours. Uh, they're part of the old Q-Lube group. We bought the company stores, but they had some franchisees that wanted to stay. And we had, we had the right, we had to agree to allow them to convert to Jiffy Lube because uh, we had the name naming rights for the state, but it was a, they made it worth our while and they've been great. It's it's mainly one, one group uh, that owns most of those stores and they've been great to deal with. So. We, we get along well, we work together, and, and uh, we could dominate the state. So for some of our listeners now, they're imagining the elephant in the room here, that they have had bad experiences at oil change places. And you could probably say oil change shops generally as an industry, auto industry segment, have shaky reputations for a few reasons. If I list a couple common complaints about oil change shops, could you address them from your yeah, perspective? Yeah, I'd love to, love to. Okay. First up, you generally hear that technicians don't have adequate training and you're in danger of getting your car injured or ruined during the oil change. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would tell you, I, I think the whole automotive industry has a problem with reputation. And a lot of that stems from uh, from our, our from our guests, our customers, not really understanding cars. So you don't, you don't go into the... You don't go in with a lot of trust. 
you know, you go in skeptical. Can I believe what this guy is telling me? And and uh, and so that's an issue in the in the system, not just quick lubes. That's tire stores, repair shops, car dealerships, everybody. Uh, we work to address that. Number one, we don't pay any commissions. So we're, there's no if you buy something from us, it's just extra work for our guys. That is very rare in this industry. This industry is built on paying commissions for everything somebody sells. The, the service writer at the dealer is making commissions. The tire guy at the front counter is making commissions. We made a decision a long time ago that we are not going to play in that in that pond. Like it's, I just want to have credibility. I want to when we tell you that your manufacturer recommends an air filter. Your manufacturer recommends an air filter. It's up to you whether you want to replace it or not, but that's what it's called for. And we don't make any money by if you say yes. So we, I, I guess I make money selling the air filter. Yeah. But, the, but there's <laughs> right. not, uh, you're, in, you're, in theory, I'm making some money on that. But but yeah, we're not paying. Our guys are not focused on patting right. their own pocket by lying to somebody. They're not incentivized to, right. to sell me exactly. stuff. And then I think that on the training side, Jiffy Lube's in the training hall of fame. Training Magazine has a Hall of Fame that if you're ranked in the top five, like five years in a row, they put you in the Hall of Fame so they can open up the top five for other people. But they that includes Ritz-Carlton Hotels and Starbucks and McDonald's. And so if you go on the Training Magazine uh, website, you'll see Jiffy Lube's in their Hall of Fame because we our training is, is, uh, qualifies for college credits. It's a really, I mean, it's what we pay for. When we bought the franchise, that's the main value. I, I pay Jiffy Lube over a million dollars a year in royalties. And the value I get for that is the training program. So our guys are are, are much better trained than people think. And I think the, uh, and the job is not that complicated either. We're not, we're not repairmen. We don't fix things. All we do is replace things that wear out. So it's a, it's a different animal. And I, and I think, you know, I, I get it. I understand people come in they, a little leery and we see it all the time. And, you know, in, in our world, we think we think we're pretty good at what we do. And and we know, uh, you know, I'll tell you, the other, there's a need is an interesting word in our like, when do you need to replace your serpentine belt? You don't really need it until the last thread is about to snap. But you probably should replace it before that. Because if it snaps, your car stops, and you're and you're toast for a while. So, yeah, we we talk to people about manufacturer's recommendations. Our computer system has manufacturer's recommendations on every service item on every car on the road. So, manufacturers, it's not Jiffy Lube's opinion. It's the manufacturer, the guy that made the car, says you should change your transmission fluid every seventy-five thousand miles. I, you want to change it or not? If you don't change it today, it's not going to break down I, tomorrow. Well, I typically don't know when. Right. <laughs> when did I have my fluid change? I mean, yeah, how can I you mean, even know that? It's it's a, a lot. It's a, a lot of people think oil. Ch- all you have to do is change your oil. Your car will run forever. That's not that's not accurate. So we believe knowledge is power, and we believe whenever you come to Jiffy Lube, part of what we're charging for, part of our service, is that we want to inform you as to everything about your car. So that you're an informed consumer and you can decide based on the manufacturer's recommendations or whatever you want to do. Uh, you know, if, if you think you're going to trade the car in in six months, don't don't 
don't do anything to it. If you're about to give it to your 16-year-old daughter, you might want to do everything to it. So, and that's not up to us to decide. That's up to, you know, we'd say take, you, we help you take care of your car your way. And so I think that's the, uh, you know, that's the mantra. You know, do I, have I ever had anybody? I once went to a store and I met Synthetic Oil Man. That's how he introduced himself to me. I told, I told the district manager, get him away. He can't work here. But his, he goes, I can sell synthetic to anybody. I'm like, I don't want you to sell synthetic. I want you to sell synthetic to people who need synthetic. Don't, don't, I don't want to meet synthetic man ever again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, can work, he can work down the street somewhere else. But, yeah. uh, but he was proud of that. And I'm like, no, dude, get out of here. Like, you're not part of the team. That's not what we're about. We're, we're about providing the service that people need and, and allowing people to decide what, you know, how well do you want to take care of your car? Do you guys have like minimum sales numbers? Like if they don't. We have, we have budgets everywhere, budget driven companies. So we set, uh, I sit down with the guys every, every year and then we adjust every month. The question I ask is if we run the store well, what's reasonable to expect? And that number becomes the budget. And so the managers make bonuses. Uh, the technicians can make some bonuses. So, you know, if the more we do, it's largely based on cars, more on cars than on sales. We want to do as many cars as we can, because if we do the job right, the sales will be whatever they are. Like, I don't, we're not, we don't push uh, other, other people, even in Jiffy Lube, other people push what they call the average ticket. We don't, we push car count. I want to do as many cars as we can do. And I want to, if we do them well, if we do a thorough job with them and we inform our guests of, as to what manufacturer recommends, then the ticket will be whatever the ticket is. If you need something, you'll buy it. And if you don't, and you, know, you have people who do come in with a serpentine belt that's in terrible shape, but they might have we they might have just had a, a crisis in their family. They they might have just lost their job. I tell our like it's none of our business. If somebody says no, just move on to the next thing and just let as long as they leave with knowledge, as long as they understand that I have a serpentine belt. It's not in great shape. At some point, I need to get this changed before it snaps. That's that's all we need to do. That's our job. So you're not suggesting any kind of unnecessary maintenance. No, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I mean, can I? I don't. Certainly not from me. Certainly not from our leadership team. Do we get guys in now and then that overdo it? Do we get we get complaints? And and sometimes when we look into the complaints, we go out and do a little attitude adjustment with the guys or, you know, uh, because that's not what we're about. Now, everybody's had this experience where, I mean, I assume at, at most shops where, so you're just kind of, you're kind of waiting for the oil change to be over and guy comes in with your engine air filter. Right. He goes, hey, here's your engine air filter. Do you want to replace it? I have no idea. Right. How, do, how am I supposed to know that? Is that something that your guys do? Yeah. Well, then we, sh we show you the air filter. Um, it's part of the service to see it. We usually, it's, they're usually clean. So we usually start with, hey, as you can see, your air filter is fine. But if we don't show it to you, then you'll never know. You're not, no one's checking their own air filter. And if the air filter gets clogged up, gets dirty, it, it impacts the efficiency of the car and, and, and how well it runs. So, uh, you know, and then there's, now there's cabin air filters. That's a new, that's like the last 10 years yeah, or so. I just had my change. So, so you have a cabin yeah. air filter that has nothing at all to do with how the car runs. It's only filtering the air that comes into your to your car. So during COVID, we they, those exploded. We were selling them 
people were coming in asking for them, which had never happened before. Is it, I, is I it because I thought it was ML filter out? It, I mean, it, it filters there, <laughs> but it's not. If you roll your windows down and drive around, the, the <laughs> air is coming true. right in, not filtered. So, uh, but we have parents with kids that have bad allergies, or, or you know, there there, is, there are some reasons why those cabin air filters make make sense, and but they're way expensive. Some of them are fifty or sixty dollars, yeah. and and it. I, I kind of, and it really has nothing to do with how the car runs. So it, it, you know, you, I think you have to be, uh, to change it any more often than than absolutely necessary, you need to have some kind of health issue that you're worried about. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ podcast and our conversation with Steve Sander, owner and president of Jiffy Lube of Indiana. So one of the interesting things uh, when you go to IBJ.com and you search for Steve Sander, I've discovered you see a lot of stories about things that you do that people wouldn't necessarily associate with running an oil change business. Like painting murals on the buildings? You don't you don't see that every <laughs> No, not everyone does that. So, for example, uh, you have been an executive board member of the Indiana Sports Corp since 2008. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. You are a former board member and president of the Washington Township Schools Foundation. Yep. Is that correct? Uh, you have been or are currently a board member of the Jiffy Lube Association of Franchisees, the local organizing committee for the Big Ten football championship game, Central Indiana Police Foundation, Americans for the Arts, and the Highland Golf and Country Club. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And in do my you, do you not time, have enough yeah. to do? <laughs> my wife has a great T-shirt that says, stop me before I volunteer again, because she might be busier than me. I mean, it's, it's look, when we were building the business, it was it was uh, hardcore work, driving business. Uh, but these last 15 years or so have been so good. The people of Indi- around Indiana have supported our business so well that it's given us the opportunity to sit back and go, what's our legacy going to be? How can we give back? What's what's our role in this? And, and it's something that I've gotten very passionate about in challenging other business owners. Like, what are you doing? What what are you doing outside of your business to try to make this a better place to live? And and so, I spent a lot of time sitting around talking with people about, you know, what ideas can we come up with? What can we do a little differently? What's a new way to put a twist, bring a little entrepreneurism into into problem solving around the city because we we have problems in the city, but uh, we also have a lot of great people that are that are that are very capable of solving the problems. We just uh, got to come together, got to stop fighting with each other, and and um, and we can do it. There's there's so many great as we were talking earlier. There's so many great people in this city that are that are giving back every day and that want to make a difference. And uh, the do more program we're, we're doing now where we honor people who use their cars to give back with, you know, we give them some recognition and a year's worth of maintenance, but I'm, I'm learning about all kinds. It's, it's, 
I wish the news would have a section every night. I, I wish it was 28 minutes of the 30-minute news that was about all the good people in Indiana that are doing great things to make it a great place to live. And, and instead, you get like 30 seconds at the end of the newscast about somebody doing something great. Well, that's happening every day across the city. So. Well, right. I mean, a lot of people get invited to sit on boards, and a lot of them accept those invitations. But it just appears to me – uh, your activity indicates a really strong belief in the value of being a volunteer leader. And these are volunteer right. positions. You're not getting paid <laughs> no, to do any no. of these kinds of things. There are a lot of years I didn't get paid to do the Jiffy with me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, I think if you're going to get involved, you want to be involved. You don't want to just have your name on a, you know, hey, you're on the board. No, I want to What's the board? What are you trying to do? So before I get on any boards, that's, those are the questions I'm asking. Can, what kind of difference can we make? And how much are you willing to – like, I have crazy ideas. You know, if, <laughs> if I get a third beer in me, watch <laughs> out. Uh, so, like, what are we – are you open to new ideas? And the groups that are open to new ideas and new ways to view things, I'm, I'm all in. Let's go chuck some things against the wall and see if anything makes sense. So – is there a, a dividend that goes back to your business somehow? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, like with the murals, one of the things, how that started. Yeah, was, yeah. explain the mural project. So we yeah. sat in a meeting and we and I said, you know what? I'm tired of like creative briefs and and all that stuff that ad agencies do when you're trying to plan your marketing plan. I said, I just want to make Jiffy Lube cool. Okay, I want to be cool. I want to be the place that you don't, you don't, you just want to go there because they do so much in the community. I don't need a coupon. If I get a coupon to Valvoline, I'm going to Jiffy Lube because I appreciate what they do in the community. So, so I said, how do we make Jiffy Lube cool? And the next thing I knew, we're, we're talking to the arts community and we're painting murals on the sides of our buildings. And it's, it's just blown up. We have 30 murals now. We'll do four or five more this year. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 appreciation, support, and and uh, and social media hits that we get from the arts community are off the charts. You know, in the past, we sponsored a lot of sports. If you were in the car business, you sponsored sports, you sponsored the Colts, and we, the Pacers, we did all that, and we still do some of that today. But this shift into the arts was really eye-opening for me. I mean, I was an athlete. My kids were athletes. I wasn't – my mom was a music teacher, but we, we weren't really – focused in the arts very much. I wasn't as a young adult. But getting into the arts community and, and seeing the passion that, that that group of people bring to everything they do uh, has just been eye-opening to me. It's been so rewarding to the business because they appreciate it. Like People expected us as a car business to be at the Colts game. They didn't expect us to be painting murals on our buildings or to be sponsoring the Indy Pride Parade. Or to be doing, you know, the stuff that we're doing in the arts community that that uh, it's, it's it's been awesome, you know. And and for people who maybe aren't around here in Central Indiana or have seen these murals, this isn't like a mural of somebody getting their oil changed, right? No. I mean, the, the the artist pitches an idea, and and I, I took it that maybe early on some of them are like pitching car related ideas, but you didn't necessarily want that. We told we uh, that's the one rule we the two rules we have. It can't be controversial. Uh, I don't want those two rabbits with the smoking cigarettes thing. <laughs> <I> don't, want, <laughs> don't want that on a store. But the the uh, and it can't have a car in it. 
Like absolutely nothing to do with cars because I, I did not want it to look like it might be an advertisement. It's it's us supporting public art. And and what you hear over and over again from all the different artists we've worked with is how refreshing it was to them to not be given any direction. Like you just have a canvas and you paint whatever comes to your mind. We didn't we don't get we don't see what they want to do before we pick them. We look at their resident, the Indianapolis, Julia Moore at the uh, Arts Council of Indianapolis runs the program for us. She's been incredible. And and she knows a lot of the artists. She'll look at their portfolio and say, okay, you, you're the kind of artist that we think will work well in this community. And then you, the artist, figure out what you want to do. Don't ask me. I'm not an artist. I'm I'm the oil change guy. And this is a commission. You're commissioning oh, yeah. the yeah. artist. Yeah, we pay anywhere from six thousand to twenty thousand dollars. Seventeen thousand might be the most we've paid so. Far. Oh, well, that's a pretty big range. Yeah, it's a it's a and it depends on the size of the wall. It depends on the skill of the artist. Uh, but just like I talked about growing people through work at Jiffy Lube, we've been really effective at growing artists through work with this program. We have. A, a lot of young artists. Every year we have an, an apprentice artist, someone who isn't quite experienced enough to do a mural on their own, but Julia identifies an up-and-coming artist, and this gives them a, an opportunity to put it in their portfolio. So one of the newer initiatives uh, is called No Ticket, Let's Fix yeah, It I love that. campaign. So Jiffy Lube of Indiana is partnering with uh, Central Indiana Police Foundation, of which are you currently the board president? I'm the board president now for another month, like three more weeks. Okay. <laughs> but who's counting? Okay. So that's your partner on the campaign. <laughs> uh, so the way I understand it, police officers across the state, when they pull over a, a motor vehicle with a minor equipment violation, they can give the driver a $25 Jiffy Lube gift card in place of a ticket or fine. Right. It might define it it's, that correctly. It's mainly lights. So tail light, brake light, turn signal, headlight. You know, it's, you're not safe when you're, if you're, you're not safe and the people around you are not safe if you have lights not working on your car. So we had the idea of through, through my work with the Central Indiana Police Foundation, I've gotten to know an awful lot of officers. I, I, I have so much greater respect for what they do, getting to know them on a personal level. Uh, they are willing to take a bullet for for you and me. They are here to serve and protect. They are doing amazing work. They're underappreciated. They're disrespected. It, it's a shame, you know. Some you know, I, I see the bad stuff too, like everybody else. But the vast majority of what is going on, these are good people, and and they deserve they deserve our respect. And and so we had the th- you know, how can we create happy endings? How can we? surprise people with a friendly police officer who's here to solve your problem instead of making your problem worse. And, and, and how can Jiffy, where does Jiffy Lube play in that? And then we ended up, Hey, we replace lights all the way. The first thing you do when you pull on a Jiffy Lube, we check your lights, a light bulb costs us 90 cents or, you know, some of them are $5. It's not a big deal to give away. Our labor is already at the store. So $25 gift card, is enough to replace two, usually two taillights or two brake lights. Uh, a standard old style headlight is twenty four ninety nine, I think. So it can do. You get into some of these new halogens, and they're five hundred dollars. But but a lot of older headlights can be fixed for twenty five bucks. All most of the signals, and so what? So do that twenty five bucks will cover the cost yeah, of doing that. For for mo- most turn signals are twelve ninety nine, uh, or brake lights. So yeah, it's a, it's an opportunity to come in and 
and uh, it's 25 bucks. So if you have one light out and it's $12.99, you still have another $12 to spend if you want to set a wiper blades or you want to get an oil change and use it for that. Right. Yeah. It's, I'm sure it's great for bringing people into the store, but it, you're also motivated by giving uh, police officers a chance to show the public a different side. Yeah. I think that it's a really cool opportunity for them to to – to be able to know going into this traffic stop that this is going to be fun, you know, I'm going to end. This is going to end with surprising the heck out of this person. This mom has three kids in the car. They're late for school. They got to. They know they had the brake light out. Now they see the lights go on. Oh my God! And up, up comes this friendly officer, ma'am. No ticket. Let's fix that. You know, here's 25 bucks at Jiffy Lube. Go in and get it taken care of. And 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 now that person drops the kids off, goes to work, and goes. You guys aren't going to believe what happened to me this morning. And that, you know, multiply that a thousand times. And and we can start to change how people interact with police officers and the kids in the back seat who get to see, hey, this guy was so nice to my mom. I mean, that's that's what police officers want. That's what they do. They're not they don't like arresting people. They don't it's not, you know, they're here to serve and protect and keep us safe. And and uh and so it, it seems like it's a it's our little piece we can do at Jiffy Lou, but I am I'm actively encouraging every business owner I know to figure out what your company can do. Figure out how you can fit in with your people and let's let's help solve this policing problem before it gets any worse because it's it's tough. And you've committed to thirty thousand, I'm sorry, three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, we printed twelve. We gave we gave them twelve thousand twenty five dollar gift cards. So, okay. three, so they, three, they have those yeah. already. So that's and as long as the, and there's no end, we'll print more. If this thing is going well, we'll do it forever. But how long have uh, they been doing it? So we started. We had the idea originally about two and a half years ago when COVID hit. So it it like stopped it. They weren't pulling. You really couldn't pull people over much right. during COVID. And so now we're just this last couple of weeks we started cranking it up again. We printed new cards up, and um, and I'm excited about it. It's it's a uh, again it's the, it's not a it sounds like three hundred thousand dollars sounds like a ton of money. We won't get them all back, and and even when we get the twenty five dollar card back, our actual cost since we already have the labor there is is a few dollars. So it's not that big of a it sounds it sounds like a bigger commitment for me than it really <laughs> is. But the commitment is that we'll stop what we're doing and we'll take care of you and 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 we'll your car will be safer and we'll all be better for that. I have one more thing I want to ask you about. All right, and this is, this goes back to I believe the uh, Indiana Sports Court. We're at the tail end of March Madness right now, so it's it's appropriate to ask about it. There was the Herculean effort back in spring 2021 that enabled Central Indiana to host all of the NCAA men's tournament. I mean, it was, it was a, a huge deal. It seemed amazing. like a huge deal at the time. It was amazing. I mean, never done before, probably right. will never be done again. And you had a specific role, maybe more than one specific role, but I want to ask you about uh, about laundry. Yeah, it was, it was uh, they sent out a note to all the board members and said, uh, does anyone want to go in the bubble? And volunteer in the inside the bubble. Yeah, the bubble being the bubble being like the hermetically hotel. sealed. Yeah, exactly. So you were <laughs> yeah, locked in. Zone, so it was like yeah. three weeks, mm-hmm. and you weren't you weren't getting out. And so I sent a note back, and you know, I said Jennifer and I would love to. We'd be happy to go in the bubble. We don't care what we do. We'll scrub toilets if you need us to. And Jennifer Pope Baker, who was in charge of that process from the Sports Corp side, called me and said. Uh, we will never. We would never ask a board member to scrub toilets. 
But how, how, do you, about laundry? how do you feel about laundry? <laughs> no kidding. That's exactly how, how she said it. it. How do you feel about laundry? I'm like, hey, we'll do laundry. We were going to scrub toilets. We'll certainly do laundry. And we had no idea when we said that what that was going to mean. But it became, it's the most fun I've ever had. And it's the hardest I think I've ever worked. We were doing 20-hour days. That first nine days of the tournament, it was insane. It was so much fun though, and and we had fifty two volunteers. We had to we had to vet them all because you couldn't just we had to know them and we had to vet them because if if Drew Timmy's jersey comes up missing, that's a problem, you know. And so uh, a lot of them were friends. We had we had Mike Bosway from City Securities. Bill Benner came in and and did shifts. We had. Uh, uh, is it Peter Lacey from the uh, BMV? Yeah, right. Yeah, he commissioner came, of BMV. Yeah, he came in to the shift. We it was it was like a it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we as had, I remember, there were like these two like semi trailers that were like all washing machines. Well, so we we when we first started, so we we had to plan. We had like three weeks to figure it out, and we knew we couldn't leave the premises. Uh, we got the U.S. Army committed to bringing in some of their washing units. They have big, big trailers with washing. About two weeks before the event, just happened to ask the question. I think Jennifer asked the question, you know, hey, you guys are definitely here through the whole tournament, right? And the guy from the Army went, well, unless if there's a natural disaster somewhere, we'll have to pull out. We're like, well, no, no, you can't. You can't pull out. So then we we had to scramble. We found Lowe's, sponsor of the NCAA, and Lowe's has the same thing. They have two semi-trailers that they take around the country for disaster relief areas. And they they have eight like apartment top and bottom washer dryers, eight of them in each. They aren't semis. They're like little trailers. So we show up on Monday morning, the first week. Teams are starting to come into town Sunday night. We get the first trailer opened up. We're all set. We start washing practice gear from the tournaments the weekend before. We go to open the second trailer, and it was a shower trailer. They sent the wrong shower. <laughs> it was all shower heads. It was where people showered during reliefs. Well, so now they had to take that one back and bring bring in the right one. So for the first day, we only had one Eight washer dryers. We're doing all kinds of laundry. It was mayhem. Uh, we got the second one the next day. Craig Eust, who was the head of the event from the Sports Corp side, paid a paid staff member, uh, pulled an all nighter. He worked. He did laundry for thirty six hours. He was. He's a beast. And so, and Jennifer and I were. I mean, I never. We we didn't leave. We'd stay there till one in the morning. He'd be back at five in the morning to get started up again uh, for nine days just had a ball. We ended up washing 14.2 tons of laundry. We were accused of losing three socks. <laughs> My wife to this day will say, we did not lose a single sock. They, the kids never got them to the laundry. They, they didn't, if they came to us, they went back. But 14.2 ton, 14 tons of laundry. It was, it was a wild ride. After the first, that first full weekend, it got real easy. Because yeah, once half the teams are gone, but that first week was 68 teams, plus all the volunteers in the bubble, plus all the coaching staffs, plus all the NCAA people. Um, oh, you weren't just doing the team laundry? No, we were doing everybody's laundry. Good well, I was going to ask you what the new ideas you've got coming, but we'll probably never leave here. We do. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending yeah, the time. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great. Sorry I get going. I can't stop myself. <laughs> oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> hey, my thanks again to Steve Sander. And folks, 
Before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest issue of IBJ I want to draw to your attention. First up, Indiana legislators are considering a bill that would prevent local communities from banning pet stores from selling dogs, cats, and rabbits from any other source other than a shelter or a not-for-profit animal rescue group. Peter Blanchard reports the battle over the bill pits the Humane Society of the United States against national retailers such as Petland and Fishers-based Uncle Bill's Pet Centers. Also in this week's issue, John Russell has the story of a Fishers-based biotech company that's trying to improve animal health with microbes that live inside the digestive tract. And Daniel Bradley has a preview of the 70-acre Geist Waterfront Park opening later this month. You can find all these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. I will say it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on central Indiana's business community and economy if you are a subscriber. And you may not know that we have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business. And that works out to about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.